Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. Joining me is my buddy. He used to be over at Playboy, which uh, used to do some of the most amazing articles. And now he has a new book, which I'm excited to talk to him about. It's called Free the Press, The Death of American Journalism and How to Revive It. I can't wait to hear this. Let me welcome Mr. (laughs) Brian Karam. Hi. Hey, Karen. Hey, Hi. good to see you. Looking Long good. Time. You look good, too. Long time no see. You're a little hairier than the last time I saw you. <laughs> but I um, imagine you need that fur for the winter. That's it. My winter scruff. <laughs> yes, it looks good on you, sir. Well, so, thank you. So I've been having an internal conversation that last week spilled out because I'm just like, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. Uh, every semester, I tell my journalism students, I don't know. I'm preparing you for a world that doesn't exist, meaning I'm going to give you all of the skills. But when you go out there, nobody's going to require you to have these skills. There are or no we'll editors. hire you for them. <laughs> Period. Right. There are no editors that are going to challenge you. Very few, very few editors that are equipped to actually train you. And you just basically can do whatever the hell you want, including start a sentence with a numeral. I've seen it. That said, hmm. I tweeted. I tweeted. <laughs> I know, I know. I tweeted <laughs> because uh, some some PR person referred to herself as a as an opinion journalist, and I was like, "What the hell is that?" So I tweeted. I just saw someone describe themselves as an opinion journalist. Isn't that an oxymoron? Because I like to ask questions. I'm Socratic, yeah. even though I know the answer. So I, I said that. I said, "Isn't that an oxymoron?" And then I went on to tweet. You're either a journalist, one who gathers news slash facts and disseminates to the public. Or you're a columnist, one who gives your opinion on news topics. Good journalists make good columnists. And I know because I was both. And then I got people coming out of left field. And I'm going I'm to I'm say this really loudly without, without the, the training. And I don't care. You could have oh, started, yeah. started when you were 12. But you, you didn't do this at this level. Number no. one. Go and tell me I'm wrong. I'm like. I wanted to have a fight on Twitter, Brian Carroll, but that, <laughs> but this is how we got into this problem. You do well, not fight with people on Twitter. This is not the forum for that. So I let yeah. them talk. I, you know, I clap back a couple of times, drop the Pulitzer or poke here or there, and I've been teaching this for twenty-two years now. And and I'm like, sit down somewhere because what you do is not journalism either. Well, so now I'm I, not saying you. I'm saying the person I, that was. I know from, what you're saying. Oh my god. Because it, it drives me nuts because it's like I, I ask people all the time, would you walk into an operating theater and tell the brain surgeon, uh, look, I know you've studied this and done this for 20, 25 years, but I just saw a video on YouTube. Let me tell you how to really do it. But everybody thinks you can do that with journalism and they don't have a clue what journalism is. And you're absolutely right. There's there's opinion writers, columnists, which I do for Salon.com and which I do you know, for other publications and I did for Playboy. And then there's journalism. And I ran two newspapers for 14 years. And I would oftentimes have young reporters come to me and say, hey, this is what I think. And I would tell them, (laughs) I I don't care what you think. I barely care what I think. What do you know? That's what a journalist does is go out and vet facts and presents them to the community. So then we can all make a decision based on common vetted facts. It's quickly disappearing. There are major newspapers today that don't even have copy editors. Oh, my and God. People, yeah, yeah, that, you know, that starting with the numeral thing, you just struck a dagger into my heart. It's, you know, it's one of the things you know, people go, well, you're just being a, you're being old and fussy. And I go, no, there's an idea of, of uniformity in the, the language that allows us to communicate more thoroughly and better with each other. That's the idea of a copy editor. 
That's why you have standards so that we can all communicate from the same page. And that's not, a, that's not something that we should dismiss. And unfortunately it's become harder and harder to do because there are fewer and fewer um, jobs available for us. They're hiring people cheaper and cheaper. The constriction in this business is absolutely disgusting. It all began with Richard Nixon and Roger Ailes, and then it was implemented by Ronald Reagan. And when we began allowing uh, companies to buy each other up and gobble each other up, there became fewer and fewer actual reporters out there, and they were hired for cheaper and cheaper. Today, you can go and cover the White House, Karen, straight out of college. There are How people that are getting that, hired. That, that should even, I remember um, Helen Thomas you know, yeah. so so let, let me let me go all the way back, because as you're talking, there are people who think because they are able to show up at a place and interview some people, you know, and, and there's that two makes things, them a journalist that makes them. <laughs> yeah. And there are two things going on right now, because I will absolutely say that young that young lady that held up that phone while George Floyd was having the life uh, snuffed out of him under George, uh, Derek Chauvin's knee was was in a way a journalist because we were that was not an know act of that. journalism that was an act of journalism absolutely right. the person- she wasn't commenting she just recorded the events for all of us to see that's the base you have a front line you know you're on the front row of history and it's your responsibility to record and send the facts to everyone else to be seen yes that was an act of journalism a great act of journalism and i believe she was rewarded for that she got a special special uh pulitzer i believe yeah yeah yeah, for that that's i teach that among all my young reporters and i you know i want them to understand what it is that we actually do i don't think you can call yourself a reporter well the joke used to be that the difference between a journalist and reporter is that a journalist was an out-of-work reporter but there's (laughs) there's the difference between a reporter and just someone spouting their opinion you at least have a copy editor Someone to vet your copy and go, what is this? What Mm. is that? Why is that spelled that way? Where did you get this information? Someone to question you before you put it in print. Yes. And and look, it's, you know, it was Ben Bagdickian from the Washington Post who years ago said, we we need a diversity in our newsrooms, but we're not going to get the diversity without a diversity of ownership. And it's not just a diversity in uh, you know, age and sex and race and creed and and, uh, and uh, religion. It's a diversity of thought, but we don't have that today. 95%, I think it is, of what you see, read, or hear is owned by five companies. And I guarantee you those companies are not left-leaning <laughs> liberals. They, the bias in journalism today is towards money. Mm-hmm. We have tethered journalism to profit. So what we get for journalism today is what we want to read or see or hear instead of what we need to read, see, or hear. And so people, it's become entertainment and it's not journalism for the most part. Free to press. I don't know how we do that, um, how we revive it when that is the edict. And I remember being at the Daily News on the editorial board when uh, Colin Powell's son uh, was the head of the FCC. I remember when, because I remember when Mort Zuckerberg, Mort Zuckerberg, Mort Zuckerman bought the New York Daily News. Yeah. I'm getting him confused with the guy that bought. Zuckerberg. Anyway, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, but I remember when he bought the New York Daily News and I was like, why? First, it was, you know, the, the other mogul that ended up Maxwell in the ocean. And then shortly thereafter was this Canadian real estate mogul buying the Daily News. And I was like, what does he know about journalism? 
And it, you know, I'm, I'm, in my, I'm in my 20s and I'm like, I don't understand. And then the FCC, you know, allows for Rupert Murdoch to have a TV station, a new, a radio station and a newspaper in the same market. It's, that's in the book. That's, that you're, you're that was the problem. Right. That's that the, was that's Nick, the ground that was zero. Nixon and Reagan. And when Reagan lowered the, the, the guardrails and allowed us to buy each other up, you end up with like Sinclair, who owns 30 or four, what, what, 100 markets. I don't know what they own, but a bunch of them. You used to limit the ownership to like four or five. And in the 80s, newspapers and television stations got together and lobbied Congress to limit the ownership of newspapers to 20 and the ownership to, I think, four of, of television. And instead, what we got, and we got this in 1996 with the Telecommunications Act, the further lowering of standards so that radio stations, so iHeartRadio owns everything in every market, um, you began with a just a mere handful of companies owning everything. And look, here's how it works. If you own, say, one newspaper and you end up owning 30 newspapers, those 30 newspapers all used to send reporters to the state house to Washington, D.C., to different bureaus. Well, now you can you can pool your resources. You need fewer reporters to cover what you it used to take 30 reporters to cover. You might cover it with four or five. And the problem with that is while it increases the bottom line for the board members, at the same time, you're depressing the price for reporters. So you're getting cheaper reporters and you're getting fewer of them. And the, the I always use as an example, Laredo, Texas. When I worked there in 1984, there were 100,000 people in that town. There were two daily newspapers in English, two daily newspapers in Spanish. There were three television stations in English. There was two in, in Spanish that all provided news and like three or four radio stations that did. Today, in 2022, there are 300,000 people in Laredo instead of 100,000. Three times the number of people. There is one newspaper, one television station. That's the problem because we've allowed vulture capitalists like the Alden Group to go through and buy several hundred newspapers. They close them all down. So there's information. There's a whole information desert in communities all across this country. And nationally, what you end up with is what sells best. And that's not news. But that's our fault, too, right? And some of it, well, yes. Well, it's no. our let's, fault let's, for not let's, fighting back, yeah. Let's talk about it. 866-801-8255. Brian J. Karam is here. The book is called Free the Press. Uh, and I want to shout out Darnella Frazier because uh, I have to say her name. That's the young lady uh, who recorded, uh, who was 17 when she recorded George yes. Floyd's murder and put it out for the rest of us and Pulitzer did honor her uh, for doing that. That said, um, we curate what we what we watch we curate the news that we get most of my students don't read a newspaper i used to require that they did they had to at least read a newspaper for my class every day and we i would quiz them and i mean it was huh, it was a lot um and, and i realized i was fighting a, i was fighting a losing battle because you know they get their news from their phone and you know why they're not newspapers anymore? it's not because newspapers aren't viable that's one of the big arguments it's not viable Newspapers are very viable, and here's why. You can't hack a newspaper. You know, you, you can hack a phone. You can hack the Internet. You can change it. It's ephemeral. But the newspaper is finite. I've got copies of newspapers that are 150 years in my house. It says the same thing today as it said it was on the day that it was printed. And that's valuable for history. And they are needed. But we don't – we haven't supported them. At the state, local, and federal level, one of the biggest untold stories that I talk about in this book – 
is how they've gotten rid of public service ads. Those public notice ads that tell you, you know, when the estate sales are or when the county council meeting is, all of those things, when the PTA meeting is, lawyers and and uh, doctors and salesmen would see those, find who were there in, in their community and help build a community. Not only that, it made local governments responsible to the people. That was a big role in transparency. Well, in a money-saving effort, they've gotten rid of them and allow new, uh, newspapers not to publish them anymore. And, that, and, and they're on websites now for the government. Well, that kills the profit margins of many small newspapers, many community newspapers, and that's destroying journalism. We've got to build from the bottom up. We need to give, we, we des- desperately need to give tax breaks, low, uh, in, low interest loans to small community newspapers. And then, you know, speaking about your newspaper, Karen, why not, why not give everybody a hundred dollar rebate on their taxes every year if they just subscribe to a newspaper. I think that would help immensely. That is easy. Um, And I think about all of the um, local black newspapers, like the one, you know, all gone or not, you know, not viable in the sense that they don't have real journalists. I I recently, a couple of years ago, I was interviewed by one of the papers and the owner sent her like 18 year old daughter to interview me. And I, I was like, really? She didn't know what to ask. And I was like, listen, and, you know, I'm trying to teach her. She went back to her mother and said I was mean to her. And, you know, I was like, you don't send an 18 year old to interview. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> what, what are you doing? Uh, Without some training, at least. Yeah. What My is God. this? What, what, <laughs> she didn't know what to ask. I'm like, what is this what we're doing? You know, but, no, you know, there's no money, though. There's no money. That's that's I would not let my, I, my kids, thank God, did not go into my line of work, but I wouldn't recommend it for young people today because it's at some point in time, you've got to pay your bills. There are reporters at the White House who have just gotten out of college who are making thirty five to forty thousand dollars a year. How do you survive on that in Washington, D.C.? It's daggone near impossible. And. That makes the reporters <laughs> corporate slaves is what it Im- amounts to. And in addition, you've got a White House who's selling access. So you don't want to anger the White House and then get wait, cut wait, out. Wait, of wait, the- wait. You just said something, Brian Karen. What do you mean a White House that's selling access? All White Houses leverage reporters. Oh, you want to be on uh, Air Force One? Oh, you want to be in the pool? Oh, you want to do this? Are you with the right group? Are you with the right? First of all, you got to be with the right newspaper, the correct news, one of those that they. So, uh, so we the we the people aren't just getting news from good journalists. They are curating who gets to have access. So in essence, they're curating the news that we actually get from this. From of the course. And oh. that's, you know. They, they have you fighting over seats in the Brady briefing room. I think that's one of the most hilarious things. They're going, Brian, don't you want to? I go, no, I don't want to sit down like I'm in school. I'll stand up in the aisle and, and look somebody in the eye as an adult. I don't need to be sitting in a seat waving like, oh, please look at, at me, teacher. It's that, look, we're the press. We should be holding them accountable for what they do, not playing their games at access and being allowed to ask a question. You know, I, I had someone give me grief because I would ask a question, you know, and would shout the question sometimes. How can you be rude like that? I go, no, no, that's not rude. That's my job. I'm doing my job. I'm trying to hold them accountable. If they don't want to call on me, I'm not in any way obliged to fall into, you know, into that relationship 
where they're the master and I'm the servant, not doing it. So how do we fix this? Um, I've been dealing with uh, this this group. Uh, they call Presto. They're teaching fifth graders how to become journalists. And I was like, okay, I'm going to invest in that. Curious minds and a lot yeah. of questions at that age. I, yeah, yeah. You know, we always attract those people. That journalism is great. And it's one of the reasons why you and I got involved is you're curious. You want to know things. I always wanted to travel the world on somebody else's nickel, too, because, you know, I couldn't afford it otherwise. So <laughs> that's nice. But we don't do that much anymore. We, we do everything video on video or through Zoom, and that's no way to be a reporter. You need to be there and, and see things for yourself. You need to be a primary source, not a tertiary or secondary source. And how you fix it, there's a lot of ways. First of all, support community journalism. It, that's where it starts at the ground up. Then you need to support a shield law so that reporters don't go to jail if they have confidential sources and governments can't therefore leverage them and pressure them into giving up their sources because that leads us to doing nothing but uh, propaganda. And then you also need to um, reinstitute, I think, the fairness doctrine, or at least put together a group of people, journalists and owners, to decide how to implement a fairness doctrine so we get out of our informational silos and Fox News and others are, are required to give a, a, a differing opinion or, a, or actual facts in their case. And then you've got to bust up the media monopolies. And that's the most controversial thing because no large media company wants to have that, you know, that monolithic power broken up. But unfortunately, there are media companies today that have more power than some nations. And that's in their ability to get the word out. And that's frightening in, on, on many regards. And we should all be wary of that. And when you bust up media monopolies, you put more reporters out in the field. And that's the that's the end game is to have many more voices available and as diverse as possible uh, in order to make sure that um, everyone has a seat at the table. Everyone is asking questions and answers are provided. But all right. The first one, we can all do it, but I don't think we will. Uh, <laughs> it's just, you know, I think habits. it's a hard ask. All yeah, the way I mean, around. And it shouldn't be, you know, it shouldn't be. But at the same time, we want our thing. We want everything quick and fast, and we want it on our phone. And if you're not digital, you're right. I, I was, you know, having this conversation. Like, what happens when they hack everything? They already want to ban books, you know. And if everything is digital, it's just a, a flip of a button, and you have no access to anything. Exactly. So, so, so what happens then? And are we okay with that? And I feel like ignorance is bliss for a lot of us. Where what we don't know, we don't know. We're okay with, but. The erosion in society because of this lack of knowledge is now prevalent in the midst of a pandemic. You just talked about people, uh, Nicki Minaj's cousin's left testicle became more valid an argument than something coming out of Dr. Fauci's mouth, right? Somebody that actually has a medical degree. And it's like, how is, uh, how are we listening to Nicki Minaj over Dr. How are we listening to Joe Rogan over? I I won't listen to him, but (laughs) but 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 11 million people are. That's and that look, we have destroyed our credibility. Large businesses and the government have been complicit. And again, I blame Ronald Reagan for a great deal of this because he started us down this path and he set the table and every other president ate from the table. And we we've come to the idea that this is normal and it's not. It never it, it shouldn't be looked upon as normal. It shouldn't be regarded as normal. It isn't normal. Those politicians work for us. 
if we have we have every right to question them at any time and they have all conspired to limit us access and limit information and when you do that look nature abhors a vacuum so if you're not getting vetted facts you're getting fiction and that's the and lies and i'm sorry there's no alternate facts there's only facts and lies and when you're not able to vet facts then anything that's on the internet is glom, you know, they, they go, wow, let's grab that. And that's a fact. And that's a problem. And it's going to be a problem until we do something about it. And if we don't do something about it, we're doomed to, to fascism. All right. Well, I guess we are doomed. To, I, I, I hope I, not. I feel, I, I I, you know what? I, I'm usually very optimistic. Uh, the last couple of years have beaten the optimism right out of me because I'm now in a realistic space. And, you know, I'm having arguments with 19 and 20 year olds about relevancy. And I'm like, please live some life and then have an argument <laughs> with me about something like, really? And I'm, I'm like, when did I turn into my mother? When did I turn into my father? Like, this is, you know, but I'm like the uh, the audacity. You're really challenging somebody that has really you. Well, you're going to tell me. So I'm like, yo, this is it's getting too much, Brian. And I feel like, yeah. Well, we live in a world where, hey, my fiction is as good as your facts. Right, <laughs> right. It, really? And their people are too stupid to know that they don't even know the facts. So, so I that's, have, why, look, that's why I'm I not still, optimistic. I love that you have optimism in your book, but I don't, I don't see it. Well, don't it takes some energy. And as long as I'm above ground, I'm going to have optimism. I don't see any other way to do it. But, you know, I get frustrated with people who go, my biggest number one frustration right now is over January 6th. That was that was an attempt to overthrow the government. I was there. They were going to they would have taken Mike Pence and hung him from a scaffold. They would have taken Nancy Pelosi and killed her. I had and I I watched. There was a friend of mine who got uh, sucker punched in the back of the head. Uh, I saw them beat people. I saw them screaming, ranting and raving. And I I remember what and this is God is, is my witness is true. I stood there and watched him crawling up the walls. You've all, everyone's seen those pictures of them crawling up the walls. And I said, hey, morons, there are steps on either side. You don't have to crawl. Somebody's going to break their neck. Somebody fell and broke their neck. Six of them came over and threatened to kill me. And then when I showed them my Playboy press pass, they stopped. And one of them said, oh, Playboy, uh, can you get me into a party? How about the mansion? Can you get me in the mansion? That's how crazy lunatic these people were. Nuts. And they were not there for any peaceful demonstration. They were there. They were stirred up by Donald Trump. They were encouraged to riot by Donald Trump and his two interchangeable children and Rudy Giuliani, who said trial by combat. This was an attempt to overthrow the U.S. government. I will not listen to anyone tell me otherwise. I was there. I saw it. And I don't care what. You want to tell me that you think that you saw on TV, you had to live that moment. That's the value of a journalist to be able to tell you. And one of the key ways I, you know, I, I point this out in the book. It, it was, you know, Walter Cronkite who went and did in the sixties, a documentary on <clears throat> the Vietnam war. And he did an entire documentary. And at the end of it, he says, it's obvious to this reporter that we're not going to be able to win, that we have to negotiate our way out of it. And Lyndon Johnson didn't run for office after that. He said, I've lost middle America. Why did he lose middle America? Because middle America believed Walter Cronkite. Why did they believe Walter Cronkite? Karen, you know, he grew up as a reporter 
and had covered World War II, had a, a, a great depth of experience, and people trusted him. We don't have that today in journalism. We don't have a Walter Cronkite. No. And that's why you get fake news and everybody, and they're, they're doubting what happened on, you know, the day of the insurrection. I was there. It happened. Those people need to be indicted and prosecuted. So you might need a fourth part because, you know, busting up the media monopoly is one thing, but challenging folk who do have control to actually hire journalists, you know, and I was, I had to tell my students, you know, those people that are, you, you think are journalists on the cable news outlets and, and they're not, they're news readers. First of all, they're reading prepared scripts. They're entertainers. They're entertainers, which is why, you know, Tucker fucker Carlson can't be held accountable because nobody <laughs> thinks that nobody with uh, any kind of sense believes that he's a journalist pr- putting out news. But unfortunately, it says cable news and people yeah. think that it's news that that even Anderson Cooper, who you may see in Haiti, he may be holding up a child in a, during an earthquake or hurricane. He's not a journalist either. And mm-hmm. and it's just it's so frustrating. As great as Rachel Maddow is and smart as she is, because she's smart. She's got a great team. She's not a journalist either. And I feel like we um, oh, yeah, we've lost just, that. Frustrating. We, and, and there was, you know, one of the. One of the people I worked for, I admired the most was a 40, well, I was 23 years old working at a, a newspaper and our city editor was this 48 year old woman with 25 years experience. And she said something to me, I'll never forget. She goes, you're not a journalist until both sides hate you for telling the truth. And that's what you've just said is that. And I've gone on as you have, We I've been on those uh, panel shows you have an anchor, so-called anchor, and two or three people, everybody argues for five minutes, and then at the end of it, you resolve nothing, know nothing that's new, and you move on to the next topic, and everybody cheers because they got a zinger in. That's not news. That's cheap. And the reason why it's done is because it's cheap. And the reason why corporations like it is because it's cheap and it brings in ratings. I guarantee you, if you want to blame anyone for, for the state of American journalism, it's the American populace. If we, if we required decent journalism, I guarantee you we'd supply it if that's what's sold. What we'll sell you like, whatever though? you want to buy. Brian, Karen, what would that look like? Uh, for, because I, I remember when the erosion happened. and I'm, I'm going to take it back. FCC on the, you know, the, the news radio side. And then it was the Huffington Post on the newspaper side the the digital paper side mm-hmm. and i remember i was like ariana huffington what now like i remember yeah. sitting at my desk at the daily news i was like she's got a what now oh okay <laughs> so anybody can have a byline she's not yeah. paying anybody wait a minute hold up so anybody can have a byline and she's not paying anybody this is some bull crap then she sold it for like a hundred million dollars <laughs> and i was like all right we're done we're done this I is some rich bull point. crap yeah. at that point <laughs> i was like yeah why didn't i think of the idea but, you know, as because I also have that side of me. And on these airways, I'm not a journalist. But I'm sitting there at my desk going, wow, how is she getting away with this? Oh, because everybody because wants to see their name in print. They loosened restrictions. The government loosened those restrictions. It, it was the um, it was with Reagan. It was with both Bushes. It was the Patriot Act. It was the Telecommunications Act. It was every president using the the rules as they existed and twisting them so that they got to say what they wanted and we didn't listen and and and, and we couldn't find facts and look in 1958 there's a Edward R Murrow a, 
appeared before the Radio Television News Directors Association as the keynote speaker. And this was 1958. And he said, if we don't get our you know what together, if we don't get our business together, we're going to end up believing and listening to nothing but slogans and propaganda. Hello. That's where we are. All right. So you told us how we got here. You, yeah. you also gave some solutions. The book is called Free the Press, The Death of American Journalism and How to Revive It. All right. I, I think you got an EpiPen and a defibrillator. But <laughs> so, so could we hold the Biden administration? Because it feels like if the laws and the FCC and all of these levers were pulled, can we, unpu- can we bring them back and put well, them that's, in? Uh, I have asked the Biden administration. I gave a copy of the book to Jen Psaki and I signed it and asked her to give it to the president. And I asked for them to put together a blue ribbon commission to try to figure out how to fix this problem. I I asked that of the Trump administration and they, uh, they tried to throw me out and take my press pass. At least the Biden administration hasn't done that yet. So (laughs) I have hope that, um, that we still can get something done, but it will be done against um, the self-interest of those four or five, those five or six corporations that run most of journalism, what's left of journalism. Mm. It, we've got to have the independents uh, involved and those independent publishers and producers, the small community newspapers, the niche communities. Um, look, black journalism, African-American journalism has almost disappeared yeah. in, in this country. Listen, the reason why we know about the the out uh, the outcome of our dropping those two nuclear bombs to, on those people, the reason why we know that it hurt those people is because of black journalists. Black yeah. journalists who happened to have a medical degree was like, nope, that radiation is going to do this for generations while the state-run New York Times <laughs> said, no, no problems, no problems with the with. The, well, they're, they're not and remember, the New York Times was also the one that had you believe in those aluminum tubes and the fact that ma- weapons of mass destruction, which led to the second Gulf War. And that was all BS. And there was one small newspaper group. And I put this in the book too, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. And they, they, uh, Rob Reiner made shock and all made the movie shock and all about this. They were the one newspaper group who didn't buy into it. And at first, nobody would believe them because the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, ABC, NBC, CBS said, no, 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 that's not right. And they were right. And so that's why you need independent journalists. That's why you need someone there who is going to call them in the question who doesn't care about access. Look, every time they preach to me about I have to, you know, get along, to get, you know, go along to get along. I go, look, I've been on Air Force One. The food's great, but you're still sitting in the rear end of an aircraft for three hours, and I don't care. It doesn't matter. That's if, if you're going to be so enamored of being in the diplomatic room or being on Air Force One or being in the presence of the president without ever holding him to, uh, to account for what it is that he does, then you are not a journalist. You are a propaganda filter, and you don't deserve to be there. And that's for every single president. I will ask them questions, even if I like them. In fact, if I like them, I might be harder on them than if I didn't, because that's my job. Their job, it was uh, Sam Donaldson who wrote the forward to this book, and I love him to death. And one of my mentors, you know, he said in his uh, memoir, he said, their job is to put the best foot forward for the president. Our job is to fact check them. 
And that's what we need to do. And so if, if you can't do that, just don't come to work. If all you want to do is be a, a, a propaganda minister, go join the administration. I, I, and it drives me nuts. And well, but there's it's, it's, it's almost like people are auditioning for these jobs as well. You know, and yes. It's, uh, uh, OK, well, so, Brian, I'm, I'm going to try to, you know, hold on to your optimism. I'm going to going to just, you know, what what are you um, are you are you still reporting? Because I know Playboy yeah. has gone through some, some Play, Playboy. Is, I was the last man standing at Playboy. <laughs> it's gone through some issues. <laughs> it, it's yeah. gone. There's no, yes. there's no uh, editorial content. So now I'm over at Salon. Uh, writing the weekly column there and still at the White House. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was sad to watch Playboy go down because it was uh, no pun intended. But uh, it was was, that was sad because there was so much great journalism done. And uh, I mean, you know, you speak about how how did how did white America find out about the uh, about civil rights? It was Martin Luther King and Alex Haley who wrote the, the interview in Playboy that introduced a lot of the United States that wasn't African-American to Martin Luther King. And it brings it. You can read that. And it still brings goose pimples to my flesh. You can read that and see that John Wayne was a racist. I mean, you read the, the Playboy interview with John Wayne. You just want to go. Ugh. But right. all of that stuff that was in there. And in, in that magazine was important. And um, it's it's it. Look, every almost every place I've ever worked at, Karen, has closed or been con- or been bought out or sold. And Playboy is no exception. It was an independent source for news. It's gone. Almost every television station and newspaper I ever worked for is gone. And when the last door closes, this country is going to be, if it isn't already screwed. <sighs> All right. Uh, do you uh, bets on, we got a minute left. Is Trump going to jail? <laughs> if I'm a betting man, I hope so. <laughs> no, I'm asking you journalistically. I think speaking, Donald what, Trump, A, I don't think he's ever going to run for president again. B, I do think he's, he's going to face indictment. And C, that's why he's being so vitriolic right now, because he wants people to get violent when he gets arrested. He doesn't care about anybody but himself. He never has. I hope he is prosecuted for January 6th. I hope he rots. That man is a traitor to the United States and deserves every prosecution that comes his way. Is Joe Biden getting a fair shake from this media, from this press? No. No. And look, he's done a lot of and part of that's his own fault. His communication staff is not the best. Um, they don't know how to, and they don't listen and they don't return phone calls. But uh, Joe Biden himself, when you cut through that outer chatter, is actually trying to do some of the right things that need to be done. But what he doesn't get, what they still don't get, is that if you don't take up the airtime with what you want to sell, then I guarantee you Donald Trump's going to take up the rest of it. So they're out there and not preaching loud enough. Well, you're preaching loud enough. The book is Free the Press and also Just Ask the Question, justaskthequestion.com. Brian, Karam, I love you. Thank you for being here. I love you too, Karen. It's always a pleasure. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to The Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.